Hello, everybody. Chris Martinson here. And today we're going to be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys. We're not CPAs. We are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate and everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. Hello, everyone. Chris Martinson here uh, with another episode of Finance University, and we are coming in the closing days of December of 2023, so closing days of 2023, back with Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. Paul, so good to see you again. Great to see you again as well, Chris. I know just yesterday I was thinking, what are we going to talk about, you know? And then we had this <laughs> This Fed meeting and a little I, for people who are like, oh, I don't care about the Fed. You really should, because they are driving everything. What an explosive reaction we saw yesterday. It was just the Fed basically saying going a little dovish. The response was extraordinary. The Dow smashed to an all time new record high. I believe the Nasdaq is there, if not just past it this morning. But the German DAX too, Germany, it's busy deindustrializing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's at an all-time new high. Just it's unbelievable. Uh, so we live in this world now where you have to follow the Fed because because that's the whole story. That that's the it, that is the game. Are they going to flood the world with more liquidity or not? Uh, what what what? Did, how did you experience yesterday? What did you see? Any surprises? Yeah, I went from yesterday thinking, oh, the Fed's going to be boring. They're not, you know, with financial conditions easing easing as much as they have since November. There was a lot of talk on the street about whether the Fed was going to kind of talk that back, you know, because the concern is, is that's going to do away with the disinflation narrative. So I was thinking, you know, what 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 are Chris and I going to talk about? I want to make it, you know, beneficial and fruitful for the people that are here to all of a sudden it's like, Lord, how do we stay focused on what to talk about and not spend three hours discussing it? So it was quite the surprise. Uh, you know, there were a lot of individuals who were wondering whether Powell was going to be you know, stoic and hire for longer and not risk inflation getting out of control. And then he comes out yesterday and it's just like, hey, you know, we'll do whatever it takes. And then, you know, press conference comes along. It's like dovish party on. And, you know, I've talked a lot about we got to play by the the rules that are forced upon us, not as they should mm -hmm. be. The one thing that he did make clear yesterday is that that, uh, you know, here's the rule. We're we're going to inflate. We're going to we're going to let financial conditions we're going to risk and inflation coming back at least that's what what i'm reading and and everything that took place but it was quite the surprise quite the surprise yeah i you know I, I my view is that what we get to see out here in the cheap seats is um is literally shadows on the wall of the cave that that there's something else driving all of this and i've been on this story for a while and and here's my here's my data um let me pull these up so um, something was really starting to fall off uh, the cliff here a little bit, and I'm going to share my screen here. And let me see this one. Let's pull this one up. Um, all right. So you see all these charts here. And by the way, I made my, my cursor super huge so the people can see it more easy. It's green and giant now. Um, yes. Because some people said my little black one was, was hard to see before. So here we have a big green one now. So look at this. There was nothing, there's, you know, nothing in the data that said, oh my gosh, the economy is about to start ripping off or, or we think earnings for shares, you know, here's a constructive story for why earnings are about to explode higher. But we see here late October, right around October 30th, 
this has been an unprecedented string of bot. It's just an unbelievable explosion. But that's in the Dow Jones. But we yes. saw it in the Euro stocks. We saw it in the German DAX. Now, Germany, famously, it's actually in recession. It's busy deindustrializing, so it's losing the source product of its of its prosperity. And if yeah. I come in here, that's pretty intense, right? But let's look at this on a monthly basis. This is an all-time new high ever, right? So yes. what do we have in the German story that says now is the time when, you know, uh, from a fundamental basis, right, that people, investors, would want to yeah. own German stocks that much. And of course, we don't live in that world anymore. We live in a world where it's computer algorithms, um, these, you know, giant hedge funds, giant trading algorithms, giant whatevers, and they basically feed on liquidity. Mm -hmm. Liquidity meaning, grossly speaking, central banks create money out of thin air and they shove it into the markets. And that's where you go, like a school of piranhas on a on a piece of meat that fell in the water. Um, that's what we see. We see stuff like this. I can't give you a fundamental reason why now is the best time ever to pay the most you possibly could for German stocks. But right. that's the world we live in, right? Well, they... And if they Oops, sorry, Chris. I was going to say they've destroyed fundamentals. They've destroyed your basic fundamental investment analysis, you know, because the question is, really, do, do fundamentals matter? And we've been asking that for quite some time now. Yeah. Yeah. So so they don't, I, I guess. But 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 it doesn't matter. Markets are what they are. And the markets are clearly saying uh, we, we like this Fed liquidity. It's been a never ending series of bailouts and rescues by the Fed, mostly behind the scenes. You know, I had a long conversation with Grant Williams yesterday, and, and we talked about this plumbing in the system. It, it's really, it's unfortunate that we do have to talk about this, but we do. Um, right. and, and so let's, so let's talk about this because the Fed has been saying, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're done with our tightening cycle, right? <laughs> so they're still using old language. So here's how a tightening cycle, we, we both can have gray hair, so we'll remember this. A tightening cycle pre-2008 meant that the Fed needed interest rates to go higher. So they would have to reach their noodly appendages out into the marketplace, pull cash out, right? They would yes. reach into like Chase's balance sheet. They would take cash mm -hmm. and they'd put some treasury bonds back out there. And so now Chase is sitting there with less cash and banks do this thing called overnight lending to each other. And that's the rate the Fed's targeting. It's the Fed funds overnight rate, right? So I have less cash, you're Chase, you have less cash. So, but we need its cash for the overnight settlement process. And so as the Fed withdraws cash, you and I have to compete more and more and the interest rate floats higher. Yes. That's how it worked. So now the Fed's in a tightening campaign, right? No, they're not. Now, <laughs> the post-2008 under Bernanke, who did more monetary vandalism than anybody in history, he's just awful human being. Um, what they Great. do now in the Fed is the Fed printed up trillions of dollars and put them out into the market. And then banks had what call it, were called excess reserves. I, don't, I got more than I need. And so the Fed prints up a couple trillion and takes back most of that on its own balance sheet as excess reserves and now pays interest on that. So, Paul, can you imagine a situation where I print a trillion out of thin air, I give it to you, the bank, and say, but you can give it back to me and I'll give you interest on that. Right. That's been the game since 2009. It's been an absolute bonanza for everybody involved. It's just printing money out of thin air, risk-free. If you thought treasuries were risk-free, there's risker-freer, <laughs> which is 
risk or prayer. That's great. Yeah. You know, treasuries are nice, but man, the real game is getting the Fed to print money, give it to you, take it back and pay you interest on that. That's that's the most risk free transaction there is. So so now when the Fed hikes interest rates, they don't go out and take money out of the market. They just pay more right. on these excess reserves. They're like, oh, now it's three percent. Now it's three and a half percent. They turn the dial. And so now I'm a bank. I'm like, well, I'm getting three and a half with the Fed. So I have to charge you at least. Nah, you're a little riskier than that. So, so three, six for you. Right. You know, yes. or whatever the numbers are, but it's not tightening. And that's why we can see stuff like these explosive rises in the Dow and the DAX is because there is no tightening. All this talk about tightening and is the Fed more dovish or not? There is no tightening. It's right. just a wall of liquidity out there. And that's what we've been seeing. That's right. And and that's further hurt that the individual investor, because I, I remember back in 2002, 2003, you know, I would have two, three, four million dollars worth of CDs come due. So I would pick up for clients, you know, if they were coming together at the same time, whether they were uh, in our uh, office or not, just trying to help them out. And I'd call the local banks and I'd say, hey, look, I've got two million in CDs coming due. Can you give us quarter percent better than than what you're going to give somebody coming off the street? And we could get some negotiating power coming in. So, you know, since Bernanke took over the Fed and they started doing all of this, you know, shenanigans, I pick mm -hmm. up the phone and I'll say, hey, of course, we're managing more assets now. So, hey, you know, I've got CDs coming due. We don't want it. We don't want it. We don't need it. We don't want to have to deal with it. So, you know, it went from an environment where, okay, the, the Fed's pulling out. So now they've got to go to the average individual, your retirees, your conservatives, your savers. We're going to pay you a little bit more because we need that money to lend out to our local builders, our local economy, where now they don't need it. So so it's just destroyed, you know, throughout the system, normal competition at the expense of your saver and to the benefit of your speculators. Yeah, that's a chief complaint I have is is that um, is that it, the prudent have been punished and the imprudent have been rewarded yeah. over and over and over again. At the big level with the bank bailouts and, oh, so sorry, JP Morgan, you know, oh, or Goldman Sachs. We're so sorry you, you almost lost money on those derivatives you should have never written. Here's 100 cents on the dollar for those, um, you know. <laughs> Like, like, I would just love that. I would love to get a call from the Fed someday. Chris, we're really sorry you invested in that stock that performed poorly. We'll buy it from you for what you bought it for. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. that I've never gotten that call because, you know, um, no. but all, all the way on down to like the people who, 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 who looked out across the landscape, like, like today, if you look out across the landscape, housing affordability has never been worse. Mm -hmm. Not even, not even as bad old 1980s with 18% mortgages. Housing affordability is the worst it's ever been. That's an mm -hmm. act of policy. And so a prudent thing to do would be to say, I'm not going to participate in that. Right. Right. However, the Fed will bail that. And that's what yesterday was all about, was saying, woohoo, we're about to go back on a big old path of cutting, cutting rates again, providing more liquidity. We all know at the next little hiccup that's a little inconvenient for the narrative, they'll, they'll actually start expanding their balance sheet, which is just printing money again. We all know that. We all know that. So so let's go through what the Fed did yesterday. It is important for people to know this because you, you got to play. the. I mean, I don't like the game, but this is the game. So yes. let's talk about something really wonkish and stupid that nobody should ever spend a minute on the dot <laughs> plot. <laughs> That's right. 
That's right. The so infamous I, dot plot. It's like it's like we're we're the, the oracle. Uh, uh, what what color smoke is coming out the stack today? Let's go there. <laughs> so I'll share the screen on this uh, uh, zero hedge article, which was actually really good summary about what took place. And uh, can you see that there, Chris? Yeah, and let's start with that before we get to this silly old dot plot. This the tighter financial conditions. That one right there. There's yes. been nothing but an absolute massive increase in easing of financial conditions since that time when all the stock market started exploding higher. Yes. Right? yes. See that? So, that that part in the green circle? Boom. That green circle was just an absolute loosening. And 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 another thing that's interesting about that is we we started to have some technical breakdowns in some of those markets. And, yep. and this is another way that they punish you for being prudent. It's at we we had some technical breakdowns with some mm -hmm. strategies were starting to move defensive, so starting to raise cash, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have this dramatic loosening in financial conditions, and that doesn't happen unless the Fed's doing something behind the scenes. But yeah. you can you can see this here that that Fed dot plot there, can't you, Chris? Sure. Now take us through this because this is Finance University. What is a dot? So the, the dot plot is basically the, the places where the different FOMC members decide that, you know, anticipate where the rate cuts or interest rates will be in the projection going into next year. So, you know, from the last Fed meeting, they came in a little bit more hawkish. You know, you were on the lower end, those that are a little bit more dovish, um, you know, across the board here dramatically reduce that down to where where we're what a percent uh, lower in anticipated rate cuts coming into 2024 next year hopefully I sure so uh, on that left set of dots i see 11 members have said no cut and uh, on there'll yes. be no cuts right and on the right which after this meeting in the green we now see that only three members Think there'll be no cuts so that's a big erosion in the number of fed fomc members who are thinking no cuts now they're weighted heavily towards the idea of cuts each dot represents a voting member i guess at the fomc so now most of them there's just three holdouts and they don't look all that they don't have all that much conviction but they will be outvoted so the idea is hey rate cuts coming correct correct and, and right. our assumption is, as Chairman Pouts, yes, so that's what, what they were signaling yesterday, and that's what caused the market to just dramatically, you know, basically a rally of everything. Now, it was interesting because gold and silver was cratered, you know, after uh, gold's failure at all-time highs. So, you, you know, they changed dramatically, and that was unexpected. That was, that was not expected by the market. Now, the market was anticipating that we were going to get uh, rate cuts coming into next year. The market was projecting, I think, 1%. And uh, now they're anticipating 1.5% with the Fed at 1%. So the market's just saying, look, okay, the Fed you know, is not going to have all these cuts. And now they're going to have cuts, but they're not even signaling as great as what it otherwise would be. Yeah. So, I mean, we basically went in two weeks from December 1st. Powell comes out at, at his... Um, uh, Powell comes out and stated, you know, quote, it would be premature to speculate on when policy might ease. To December 13th, he comes out and says, you know, uh, to rate cuts or something that begins to come into view and is, quote, clearly is a topic of discussion, end quote. So, I mean, just in two weeks, that's a dramatic change in the overall Fed outlook. And, and the market's just euphoric. I mean, he basically just came in and gave the Santa Claus rally a uh, you know, a wrapped 
uh, gift with all kinds of bling that's on there. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a, a portion of my screen here then, um, because I don't like all the ads showing up and making it cluttery. <laughs> All right, can you see can you see this clearly? Yes, very clear. So again, we're we're just back to the indexes and the other thing I'd like to point out is that this is the VIX, the volatility index, and it's mm. just been getting crushed, 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 mm -hmm. crushed, crushed. So again, it matters because the VIX is is a measure that tells us how much volatility people expect. Here we are at all-time highs. Nothing can go wrong. VIX is really 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 low, lower than it's been since COVID even first showed up. Uh it's it's very historically low. In fact, let me pull that up real quick and, and we'll take a look at this. Um, you have to go way back. So, you know, here, no, let me go back to weekly. Uh, we have to go, where do we have, we have to go back to? Um, back to 2019 to find a VIX this low. So just say basically says no volatility, no concern. There's nothing to worry about. Markets are going to be fine. Now, the reason that, that this gets me is, um, let's go back to daily here. Let's go back to indexes. So as you see, this, at a minimum, you'd have to expect the only way you can begin to make sense of um, stock markets cranking up like that and VIX coming down is everything's everything's good. The yes. economy's about to come back. The Fed's about to cut rates. We're going to get this soft landing. Stocks are going to do fine. So, so this, Paul, is there a way you can look at those charts and not think that there's economic expansion on the way? No. You know, if, if you believe that the market is forward looking, then all of those indexes are telling you that we're going to have substantial economic uh, uh, expansion six months from now. Yeah. So this is what, you know, a lot of investment strategies, you know, even from a technical standpoint, when you go back through history and you look at technicals, you know, that just it's kind of like a windsock. It gives you an indication of which way the markets are going to go. They're not predictive. But, um, you know, when the Dow's consolidated for as long as it has historically, I think it's something like your average return is up 16% over the next 12 months uh, with an 85%. I can't remember the statistical, statistically higher number, but a, a, a major probability that you're going to have great economic um, activity over the next 12 months. So All right. that's exactly what they're trying to, they look like they're predicting, let's put it that way. So let's let's go to one other place then. So um so first, uh obvious, that's what that's saying. This is massive expansion, everything is good. Hey Hosanna looks awesome. Bonds. Bonds also, same time frame, exploding yes. in price, which means the yield is coming down. Now we could interpret that through the um let me sneak this up, get rid of that ad. Uh, because I don't like the ads. Um so let's <laughs> Let's uh, so the bonds are what are bonds telling us when they're exploding higher in price? It, it, they're also saying, um, hey, first, there's more buyers than sellers of bonds at these prices right now. B, maybe they, they're front running the idea that the Fed is going to be cutting rates, which would make bonds a very good investment going forward. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, this is also comporting with the idea that, hey, inflation is now under control. Mm hmm and or coming down so so that's what i see what do you see in the bonds here so i'm saying the same thing that basically they're anticipating that we're going to have lower rates and and the reason that rates are going to go higher is the seesaw on the playground so if rates go down the value of those bonds go up because you've locked in a higher cash flow and that yield to maturity 
So as mm -hmm. rates go down, you have to be compensated with higher principles so that, that if you sell that. So they're telling us that all's okay. You look across the board, we don't see any major default risk that's out there. I mean, one of the things that that's that's screaming higher yesterday is uh, high yield, you know, junk bonds. So yeah. that's, that's telling us that interest rates are going down and the market is telling us that the economy is going to be great. So, you know, you would think if economies are going to be great, that interest rates wouldn't be going down so dramatically. Um, but, you know, or, you know, another way to look at this is, is that pendulum. We just got too high on those interest rates and they're reverting back um, two steps forward, uh, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. But it is anticipating lower rates ahead and investors are giddy about it. You know, because you got to well, think. This is helping those bank balance sheets a lot too. With, with yeah, it is. That rates are yeah. It really helps yep. the balance sheets on the banks. Well, everything the Fed seems to have needed has happened. Remember, so something was really starting to break down towards uh, through October. Yes. And then financial conditions magically eased enormously. And the next thing you know, we see an exact coincidence of stocks and bonds higher. Those are two things the Fed would really want. But let me go now to the to the thing that really gets me. This is energy. Yeah. Right. So energy is telling the exact opposite story, um, except for it's something the Fed wants because they need this narrative of, oh, look, inflation is going down. Obviously, energy is a big driver of inflation, oil in particular. But look at all of this, right? Crude oil down in 20 percent from that October moment. Right. Mm -hmm. um, both WTI and Brent. So that's domestic and, and international gasoline down, heating oil down, natural gas down. I won't talk about ethanol. It's not worth it. But um, uh, isn't it just an amazing thing, Paul, that that uh, we have stocks saying, wow, everything's about to really go gangbusters. And oil is saying, well, I'll tell you what falling oil prices should mean. I don't think they do, but I'm I'm a, I'm a theorist in this regard. Um, these oil prices say uh, we got too much oil. The economy's going to be weak going forward. Yes. Well, yes, you're right. So oil prices going down can tell us one of two things. We have way more supply than we have demand because we're producing mm -hmm. so much so efficiently, or that's anticipating a slower economic growth and slower demand in oil. So, you know, and, and you look at lower interest rates, lower interest rates would anticipate slower demand and the market's just parting. So, you know, another way to look at it is, okay, is the market so excited, not necessarily so much over this is going to solve our economic problems, but this is kicking the can down the road for all these zombie companies that are out there that we're going to reset at higher rates, because all of this financialization and low interest rates for a long time have allowed companies to survive that otherwise wouldn't. And, and Armageddon is postponed a little bit longer. Because the question that I want to ask, you know, and, and, and you know, because I always ask, why did they do that now? Why would you surprise the markets um, like they did yesterday? So being curious about that, okay, wh what's the other, you know, yeah, they want to party on, let's have asset prices go higher. But the Fed's not necessarily going to come out and say, whoa, things are deteriorating a lot quicker than we anticipated. We're going to have, you know, we recognize that we've underinvested in oil. So if we do have economic growth, things are going to take off. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can go with that. But the question is, did, did they surprise the markets yesterday when you're already frothy 
financial conditions are dramatically loosening already, they don't need to, right? I mean, he could very easily come out and just say, hey, we're we're pausing, you know, dot plots stay the same. Market's not going to come apart if they came out yesterday. You know, it was already anticipating that they were going to stay higher for longer and that it was going to be a boring meeting. I mean, I've been mm -hmm. reading every research report that I could coming into it yesterday. And like you said, I was kind of worried about what we were going to talk about today because I thought it was going to be a non-event. But all of a sudden you come out and surprise when the markets are already frothy. So the question is, is do they, does he anticipate that, that we're all going to be a lot slower in first quarter of next year, or this, this, um, um, you know, delayed impact is coming much more severe and he's not willing to tell the market that that's the case. Let's let the market, you know, try to, to loosen financial conditions and let's see instead of this hard landing that we might see coming, we've got this soft landing because you know, maybe we do get the soft landing narrative because those wheels might touch down soft, but you can run right off the end of that runway. And, and it's too early to tell right now because they're, they've destroyed every single signal that's in the market. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you go out, if you went out with, so market gives some technical sell signals. If you raise risk in a risk managed port, uh, raise cash in a risk managed portfolio and you start batting down the hatches, well, 30 days later, you look like a fool. Well, the VIX was already kind of low at the end of the month last month with those signals. So if you stepped in and you purchased the VIX, well, guess what? You've lost money over the past 30 days. So you're punished for doing anything except for putting your hope in the Fed. And that makes the game a lot more challenging. And it makes it a lot more dangerous if that change yesterday had more to do with their unwillingness to say that, yeah, things might be a little worse than what we expected next year. And we're going to try to get ahead of this and really grease the system and really, you know, put some fuel on this fire to keep, you know, to, to maybe give us a chance of having a soft landing. So I don't know if that's the case, but I still have to think about that because when we're managing client assets and we're managing our own assets, we really have mm -hmm. to consider all of the potential avenues that are out there. So now here, here's, Here's why I care about this so much, um, because I, I believe in the real world. I believe that you have to have real signal. It can't all be noise, right? Yes. And there's been a lot of noise lately. And in particular, I'm over here with what hair I have left on fire, Paul, about um, <laughs> about about the oil markets because they've been underinvested really badly. I talk to people directly who are in the business, and these these nobody you you can't you cannot even begin to think about starting an offshore drill program at these prices. You will lose money guaranteed, right? So it's not happening, right? So we're watching supplies just really evaporate, you know, in terms of any spare capacity, talking with people who really study this very, very carefully. It used to be OPEC had like 10 million barrels per day spare capacity. They're down to maybe three, you know, mm -hmm. possibly. And then of course, you know, this is tells you just how bad the, the noise is in this story right now. About five days ago, a crude container ship uh, had missiles launched at it by Yemen. Mm -hmm. Nothing happened in the oil market. Nothing. Not a I blip. About that. Yeah, right? like the market doesn't care. And you take out a tanker like that, that's a substantial amount of supply. Well, it is. And, and, and of course, it, it, it disrupts the whole system, which is very carefully balanced with it's not like, you know, we, we send a tanker today. Every single moment of every day, there's a tanker, a whole lot of tankers, going hither and yon, right? Anything that disrupts that creates a disturbance in the balance, right? Mm -hmm. eh, oil market is so well supplied, right? But it's not. 
and we see that and and you know oh chris you know you know you've talked about how the central banks have access to the nymex um, markets and you're saying you know it's very conspiratorial like all right let's leave that aside we know for a fact that the biden administration dumped and drained the spr mm-hmm. in order to negotiate the price of oil lower that happened while they were doing that we had lower oil prices temporarily but oil companies were not investing in longer term oil investments right at the same time that the Biden administration is dumping oil for cheap oil they're bad mouthing oil companies and you know uh creating a very negative investment environment and so when you scan it now guess what you know the woke agenda at Harvard's endowment they're not putting money towards uh, oil and gas investments right they're, they're busy running uh plagiarism cover-ups for their president that costs money you know but they're not putting their money towards you know actually um uh you know things like that because again dump the oil to drive the price down badmouth the companies i mean that's what we're that's where we're in now i don't th- this sets up a potentially very bad uncontrollable oil price spike at some point in the future yes and nobody seems to care it's a very odd thing right so again hair on fire now, I know you know the oil markets. I know you know the supply issues. So let me ask you this question kind of in scenario planning. Let's assume that 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 they've engineered this perfect Goldilocks scenario going into next year, and we ramp up with global production and demand again. What would you anticipate that oil prices would do in the following 12 months? Um, they will explode higher. And I'm going to pull up this chart, which um, uh, let's see. See if I can find this real quick. Um, because do 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 do. Uh, is this the one? You know, could you imagine while you're looking at that? I got to thinking about the plagiarism issue at the highest levels of of uh, Harvard. So, could you imagine being a student and <laughs> and uh, you know you yeah. get caught plag- uh, for plagiarism now you know what what kind oh you're gonna fail me but yet the head of the institution has been proven to that, that just amazes me leadership yeah there was a time in our country where people said uh you know follow my lead and my example now it's more do as i say and ignore what i do it it, it that one is really bad um I mean, it's really bad because they're not even hiding it at this point. It's like, as long as you're part of our team, do whatever you want, you know? I have this chart everywhere on my other computer, so it's just going to take me a second to to look. I'm surprised it's taken me this much finding here. This should be easy. Um. This should be right, right here. Um, so at any rate, the the outlook I'm looking for here should be right here. Um, yeah, they're just giving me a video of it. So this would take a little while to, to sort through. But the, the chart I'm trying to find just basically shows, they said, look, they add up all of the um, oil production that they know about bottoms up analysis and starting in 2025 the oil uh, coming out of the ground just starts to dive off right and mm-hmm. and it has two big components right one is what we'll call um conventional oil right 
And that's the stuff that we drilled a long time ago. And those wells have been producing a long time, but it's depleting. And then you have to replace that with new stuff. And the new stuff isn't quite the same, right? It's shale oil, it's tar sands, it's Orinoco, Venezuela belts, it's stuff. It doesn't have quite the same energy return. So we're, we're slowly over time replacing really high quality, tasty oil with stuff that we're sort of have to squint at and call it oil, right? You know, but even with that, it falls off. Why? Because there hasn't been investment. So that ought to be really like a very giant um, flashing red sign here. And the markets just aren't aren't seeing it. And so then we get treated to this article by Bloomberg that says that, well, there are these things called CTAs, so-called commodity trading advisors, right? Which advisors, they're just giant computer programs with a third of a trillion dollars pointed at the oil market, just doing whatever they want. So they they drive the price too low. They drive it too high. They don't care. They mm-hmm. What they care about is which way is the trend going and can I harvest some some bucks off of that, right? So that's yes. just noise in the system. That doesn't say anything about supply, demand. Mm-hmm. Sophisticated, you make money at it, I get it, but it has nothing to do with supply and demand. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is driving this whole thing. And 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 I think it's setting us up for a really, a really bad outcome. And that's why when we when I point out like, how do you make sense of stocks, mm-hmm. oil? <laughs> like somebody's got this story very wrong, you know? That's right. That's right. And and the postponement and the longer this goes on, the greater the consequences are going to be on the other side. But at yeah. the same time, the the greater the opportunity to protect yourself against inflation for those investors who are patient have some rules that allow them to move in that direction. Because what's going to happen is the longer as this goes on in your modern portfolio theory, kind of sell side, basic investment side, you know, Mm -hmm. they're going to look at you like they have gold, you know, Hey, I'd like to add gold to my portfolio. Well, that's a relic that you don't need to add to your portfolio. That's ridiculous. You need to go somewhere else. Well, you don't need to own energy or anything like that. I mean, that that's just a terrible place to be. And, and those individuals who are, who are following that lead that are being rewarded by that for now are, are absolutely going to be miss out on the opportunity. And then all the other stocks that they have that, that have been, you know, benefiting from all this easing once they lose control of that, that those energy prices um, are going to miss out for those investors that are listening and aware and patient and ready, they're going to be able to help protect their purchasing power. Cause once it, once it takes off, you know, that may be, the straw that breaks the camel's back and they 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 can't control all the levers uh, of the economy again. And I think it's um um this is this is starting to get to worrying levels to me. So 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 but let's take the, the last angle from that then. Um which is what do you think, Paul, it's a chance that the surprise by so the Fed's sitting there and they're looking at the same data we are like wow stocks are are bonering bonds are bonering like everything's just headed up and to the right you know and they Mm -hmm. sit down at a meeting and they're looking at the same data we are and they go now would be a great time to surprise with a dovish thing um (laughs) what do you think the chances are that that dovish stance started with a phone call from the white house reminding them of the importance of this election year I have, uh, uh, I thought about that yesterday. So I think the probability of that is really, really high, that there's all kinds of political pressure that's coming in there. And look, I'm I'm a political atheist. 
I'm not an atheist, but I am a political atheist, equal opportunity basher. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've come to the conclusion that this administration, there is no boundary that they are unwilling to cross for their own benefit. Um, and especially in such short-term expectations. So I think there's, they're so absolutely terrified of Trump and what he can do on the other side, you know, assuming that he gets in there. Mm -hmm. that they'll pull any political card that they can, you know? So I can only imagine the conversation, you know, pal, you might want to have a reputation of, you know, not making the mistake that uh, Arthur Burns did prior to Volcker. But, uh, you know, if you don't do this in the short run, you know, we'll destroy you anyway. So which risk would you rather have? I, you know, I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's my assumption. So, um, yeah, um, I think it's political. I mean, it, yeah. nothing else makes sense. I mean, just why take the risk right now? And that's why I keep going. I didn't bring the political question up earlier because, you know, so I'm glad you asked that. That's not something I'm necessarily going to, you know, blurt out without. I mean, I would, but, you know, the question would be, you know, I kept asking myself, why would you do this now? You don't have to. The markets would have continued to go up into the end of the year anyway, more than likely, that momentum was already there. And that's one thing that we've seen. All you got to do is get the momentum started in the market. Your CTAs are going to fuel it. Then your investors are going to chase it. And then that's going to carry a lot longer than, than anyone anticipates. So, um, you know, why the change? Well, that's a good point. Maybe it's political. Let's make sure that at least the economy is not against this administration by the time we get into uh, the election. Now, inflation comes rip roaring back then then that may be something that stacks in their uh stacks against them relatively heavy so mm -hmm. great insight. yeah i think great question well well <laughs> no i mean you i you nailed it where, where you said there, there really doesn't seem to be any line that this administration won't cross right and you know i'm old enough to remember that every single presidential election has been pitched to me as if this is it. This is for all the marbles. It's never been more important. It's really, really urgently important that this person instead of this person get in. And during my entire adult life, nothing has ever changed. Right. You know, so so we came out of Bush and his disaster with 9-11 and, and attacking Iraq with, a uh, you know, on the basis of lies. And, and then the great financial crisis starts and, and then people are like, oh, but Obama's going to, you know, we'll get Obama hope and change. Right. And then nobody goes to prison on wall street for the most egregious crimes ever there was no change in policy that you could detect none no. same administration right? right you know uh so so again but i do think there are people who are convinced that this time it's for all the marbles it's super important we can't lose it that it would be an emergency of the highest possible order if trump got in and of course we see now that he's polling ahead of biden and all the all seven key swing states so i guarantee you there are people who see that as an existential emergency yes and so when you're facing an existential emergency there are no rules you do what you have to do that's you know? right and if you are desperate you know if you look at it you know a, a, a desperate animal or a desperate individual will do anything to preserve their their current way of life or their life so you know that's one of the things that's interesting is i've been telling clients for some time you know i'm like okay if you'll notice, the left will talk to us out of this side of their mouth and the right, I don't know if this is the right way on the screen, but the right will talk to us <laughs> out of this side of their mouth. So I may have that backwards yep. based on what you're looking at, but they're going to speak out of their side of their mouth, but they're all headed in the same direction. And uh, it, and and 
at the expense of the average American and specifically at the expense of the middle class and the future opportunity for those coming up. I mean, I will tell you this. This is one thing that I've noticed. When we were raising our kids, I said, look, you're going to have skin in the game. If you're not playing an athlete, a sport or event, whether it's athlete, athletic, music, whatever, you're going to be working. And mm -hmm. Holly and I sat down and I said, look, we're not going to buy them the best vehicles because they've got to have something to look forward to. Whether we can afford it or not, you know, we want them to have a reason to study. So it was really important to us to teach work ethic to our children. And they're they're thriving in this environment right now because they're surrounded by a young generation that doesn't have a lot of work ethic. But the level of stress that they have uh, because they can't afford a home, they, you know, cars and rent. And, you know, and I go back and Holly and I were thinking about when we were younger and we came out. I mean, we actually found a place to rent for, uh, you know, $400 a month. I think we purchased our first home. I think we uh, we paid $55,000 for it. Now, it wasn't a dramatic home, but it was a great starter home, and we made a decent return on that. You know, they have so financialized the system, and and now you got just, they, they put massive amounts of money that's just rolling around. So you've got institutions that are coming in buying whole subdivisions. I mean, they they've crowded out our future generation and and it is not going to end well we, we just don't know when it ends that's the hard part but we know it's not going to end well and we have to prepare and adapt play by the rules of the game that we've they've forced upon us but make sure that we have you know consistent decision point making analysis tools that can help us head for the exit uh, whenever it starts or head yeah. to those asset classes like energy and substantially overweight those from a long-term standpoint, you know, average in it now, but there's going to come a day where you're going to have to have a large portion of your assets in those categories to protect your purchasing power, to protect your own family going forward, much less that of the country. You got to protect our own family first when it comes down to that and our community and our surroundings. So then we're in a position to protect others. I agree. And I think that it's very clear to me that the Fed saw some data. They're not sharing it with us. They're not being completely transparent and open and honest. And it scared them a little bit. And they said, oh, we have to rescue financial assets here because uh, that's what they're really doing. They're not making your life better. They're not making milk cheaper. They're not, you know, enhancing actual job prospects for people. They're they're enriching the financial asset class. Right. And, and but that's been their thing for a long time. And so when the Fed's dual mandate jobs and price stability, I'm like, no, no, neither of those matter. When push comes to shove, you have one mandate, which is protect the asset holders, right? And protect the financial system. That's fine. So I think we should know that. But that's why, you know, we did this um, this webinar uh, event with with uh, Brett Weinstein, Peter St. Ange, and Ed Dowd and myself, which was you got to get into the mindset of the them, like, like the people who are actually pulling the levers and twisting the knobs, right? Like, what are they thinking? Because I know that Jerome Powell goes home and he goes to sleep at night. He, he He's destroyed an entire generation of younger people. I, I think he he should answer for that. But somehow it makes sense in his head. He's rationalized it and he sleeps at night. So we have to understand that mindset in order to understand, you know, where where things are really going, because like it or not. He's the guy with his hand on the wheel, you know? Yeah. He is. But at the same time, Chris, it's nearly impossible uh, for him to actually understand what's taking place with the with the average individual, because his net worth what in the hundred million range. 
mm-hmm. and he's surrounded by individuals that are in that range. Now, I'm not saying somebody that's incredibly wealthy is a bad individual. I'm not saying that by any means at all. That's that's a they're they're unbelievably wise and good people that have tremendous amounts of wealth. But but they're our leaders are surrounding themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. And that's the worst thing that we can do as individuals. That's the thing I love about the peak prosperity community. And, you know, notice that you can have kind Mm -hmm. and loving disagreements with people because everybody's trying to figure out what's best. Like, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. So there was a time in the past where we had our politicians that were wise enough and courageous enough to surround themselves with individuals who would actually challenge them. And, And I can't remember who it was. Was it Lincoln or there was a, a a particular individual or president in the past that put on his um, uh, board or his, surrounded himself with his greatest political opponent. That doesn't happen today because people want to be told what they want to hear. And um, so, so I think it's a challenge for them to overcome. That's that's much greater than just they don't care. I think they're I think they're disconnected and they're so far removed from the average individual that they don't know how to care. I think that's right. And, and you know, to bring it back to a, a, a fractal example that's small enough for me to get my head around is the Harvard thing we were just talking about. Right. You know, so so here's this. The president is clearly plagiarized, not just like here's a sentence that looks a little tight, but paragraph after paragraph, pure plagiarism. Right. Didn't cite them at all. Didn't put quote marks around it. Didn't put the reference down, just took it and presented it as her own. And that little echo chamber, the bubble chamber of surrounding yourself with not your political opponents, but just the people who think like you, they sat down, they looked at this and they came to the conclusion that what she had done was uh, contributed to inadequate citations. That was the language they used. (laughs) We used to call that lion, lion sacco plagiarism. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, I went to I went to college with someone who got kicked out of the university because of plagiarism. And and, you know, I don't it was intentional, but it was part laziness as well. So mm-hmm. that, that's just amazing to me. And that's that group thing. You're right. That's on a level yeah. that people can understand that's happening out there right now. And the institution is not better because now you know, the head of the institution is supposed to be what everybody looks up to and sets the path and keeps everybody in a wise, uh, 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 looking down the wise path and searching for that each step with fear and trembling. So now if you're coming into Harvard, right? I mean, if you're a student, you're a freshman coming through, well, Hey, they get away with plagiarism. So, you know, what does it matter? It must not matter. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote all these sources and get all the attention for me so that I can open doors for me at someone else's expense. So well, yes, it's just it's astonishing because and again, the FOMC and the Harvard Board of Trustees are are identical to me. They map where, yeah. where because they're they're in their own little echo chamber. And they're like, well, you know, it would be really unfortunate if it would optically look bad if we had to fire a black woman president who has the last name of gay, you know, very hard to get get that, you know, trifecta rolling again. It would be really unfortunate if, you know, if markets said signaled something off narrative right now it's so there's always a reason right and they go home and they sleep at night because it all makes sense to them but somebody somewhere on that board ought to have been saying what about the reputation of our organization and i'm sitting here temporarily in this board seat of a 300 year old institution now or however old it is 
Mm-hmm. And what does it want to be in 300 years? And what are we doing to it right now? And is that in, in alignment with what we're really trying to achieve here as an institution from mm-hmm. a from a macro you know, perspective? And they're not thinking that through because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the conclusion is, as long as you're on the right team, anything goes. Right. Right. The rule of law does not matters for thee, but not for me. And um, yeah, the rule of law matters for thee and not for me. So that mm-hmm. that's how they're trying to rule us. And what's so concerning is that's those type personalities are are ever more being revealed in the halls of power. And they're the ones that have the hands on the levers. And, um, you know, that's that's not a good situation for the long-term sustainability of our country. That sounds like something that happened to Argentina at some point in the past before they went from a beacon of, of, of wisdom and financial management on a global scale to um, what they have become and what they're having to go through now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let me frame this in a positive light, Paul, as we wrap up here. Uh, that just means we've come through some really good times. Yes. Because these are some weak people. Yes. Yes, you're right. <laughs> but it, I mean, also... I, I don't know. Yeah, it's you know, you're right that that, that level of um, it's not even that these are people who are behaving badly. I think they're behaving as best as they know how. And that this is actually what we're seeing is their actual authentic level of capability. Mm-hmm. And that they're not being bad people. They're doing the best they can. Unfortunately, they're really weak people compared to what what the times are about to call for. So we have a leadership crisis. We see it daily. It's in the Department of Energy failing to note that we maybe we should pivot towards nuclear and, and you know, maybe we're going to need our fossil fuels. It's in Harvard's board. It's in the FOMC right now. It's just really subpar leadership at a critical time. Yes. Yes. But that also helps because, you know, for for good people, these are kind of hard times, right? I mean, they really are. Mm-hmm. If you're weak-minded, it's great because you're sticking your head in the sand and you're participating, you're putting your faith in, in individuals and institutions that you that do not deserve your faith. But for those of us like like you and those that that are curious enough and love the truth enough to open our eyes and really see what's out there. It makes it challenging right now. It's very hard. You have to be disciplined. You have to learn mental strength through this period of time. And this is a shaping process that'll better prepare those of us that are, that are going through that process right now and having the courage to continue to face the truth and fight uh, day in and day out for the path of wisdom and taking that next step with fear and trembling so that we are stepping in the path of wisdom that puts us in a position to be able to step into those positions of power going forward. So it, it it's great from our standpoint, Bill, roll up our sleeves, look at our lives and every aspect of our lives. Okay, let's be prudent with our asset management. Yes, we may have to play by the, the rules that they forced upon us for now, but we're developing resiliency. We're developing decision points and consistent decision making and understanding we're not going to pick the top and we're not going to pick the bottom but we can make these sidesteps and adaptations to miss these boulders that are coming or the cliffs that are ahead of us so that we can claw back what they have taken away essentially and, and fight for those, uh, uh, 
fight to manage our resources well so that we're in a position to help those around us so that we're in a position to help take over the range of power as those opportunities arise. And that's what makes for a better future because good men and women are being shaped through, uh, through the pain that's already there by those weak leaders so that they're in a position to take over and bring about good times, bring about truth and honesty and fairness. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are, or what you do, if you cross that line, you know, that rule of law, the law is supposed to be blind and, and exercise with justice. And we're not seeing that now. Indeed. Very well said. And Paul, we're going to leave it there. So for anybody who's interested in talking with Paul and his team at Kiker Wealth Management, just come to Peak Financial Investing, a very simple form to make sure that we're getting you uh, the service you need and want. And, uh, just fill it out. Somebody will be in touch with you very shortly. And uh, all the feedback so far has just been rave reviews. Uh, Paul, people deserve financial advisor who can say the words you just said <laughs> and can well, see the world clearly. <laughs> Thank you. It's our honor. It's our honor. We love uh, helping people. And, you know, you, you, you take the opportunity to help someone else. Everything else takes care of itself. So thank you, Chris. You're welcome. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody, for watching and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy your your Fed rally. It's the it's the best money can buy. <laughs> That's right. Enjoyed it, Chris. Look forward to next time. Me too. Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be in, given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle. So it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out. Just a few fields. You hit send. What happens is an email gets triggered out. It goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours. You will get an email back. You can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute free, no obligation, no pressure call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm. It has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by peakfinancialinvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.